Well, we're going to jump back into our Rooted series. As you saw with Chris on the video, it's this whole idea of what does it mean to be rooted. We entitled this series Rooted because if you look at the book of Ephesians, that's exactly what Paul is doing. He's laying out foundational uh, uh, roots, these, this foundation of what it means to be in God. What, what does it mean to be in Christ? So the fact that God has, has laid this foundation and pre-planned a work of salvation through Jesus Christ since the beginning of time. So this week, we're transitioning from these roots to understanding what it means to live that out practically in the last three chapters of Ephesians. So if you have not been with us, I invite you to go online, uh, check out our podcast, or just catch up with us in our Ephesians series. This morning, we're going to be in Ephesians chapter 4. So if you've got a Bible, go ahead and meet me there. Ephesians chapter 4. We got a good chunk to work through this morning, so I'm going to get right to it. Verses 1 through 16 of Ephesians chapter 4. Once you have it, once you stand on your feet with me, if you're able. Ephesians chapter 4. Since we're not awake yet, if you got it, once you say got it. I'm going to wait a little longer so I can hear some more got it. So if you got it, go ahead and say got it. All right, there we go. Ephesians chapter 4, the text reads, starting in verse 1, I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to one hope that belongs to your call. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore, it says, when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives and he gave gifts to men. In saying he ascended, what does it mean but that he had also descended into the lower regions, the earth? He who descended is the one who also ascended far above all the heavens that he might feel all things. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers to equip the saints for the work of the ministry, for building up the body of Christ until we attain to the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood to the measure of stature of the fullness of Christ." So that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head into Christ, from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped. When each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. Very words of God. Amen. 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 Today, I want to speak on the topic, the unity of the body. You say that with me, the unity of the body. Let's pray. Father God, thank you so much for your goodness. I thank you for this church body renewal, God, and what you're doing here. Lord, I pray that as I speak this morning that it would not be me speaking, but that you would decrease me so that you may increase. Lord, hide me behind your cross so that you may be lifted up. Allow your people to hear from you. We pray these things in the mighty name of Jesus and everyone said together, amen, amen. You can be seated.
Well, I remember when I was going into high school, I was a pretty well-known athlete in the city of Indianapolis, and, but personally, I was still trying to figure out that city. I, I, I was still trying to figure out my way around Indianapolis. I didn't like that city. I was from Gary, Indiana, and Gary, people call it Scary Gary. That was home to me. I, I loved Gary, and I did not like this place they call Indianapolis or Naptown for the folks that are, are from there. I had some friends, but I still didn't feel like I fit in. I, I still didn't feel like they got me, like they really knew me. And about that time, I started playing AAU basketball. Anybody in here play AAU basketball before AAU anything? No, y'all don't. Y'all just not talking to me or we're just not athletes. Okay, AAU. I play AAU basketball where I travel the country playing basketball. And I loved it because you got to see all these different teams and different players in an NBA, things like that, professional people. And, and, but one of the things that, one of the teams that really struck me as I was always watching these teams, I always watched the different dynamics between the teams, how they interacted with one another. And there was this team called the Indy Bulls that I fell in love with. Indy Bulls. And I loved them because they reminded me of my friends and Gary. They reminded me of myself. They had this coach that would take them everywhere. I remember the car he drove. He drove this Ford Expedition everywhere around, and all the kids would just hop in the truck, and they would, they would walk around like they owned the place. They were those dudes. And, and it, I mean, if you saw them walking through the mall, someone with braids in their hair, walking, you didn't want to mess with these guys. Laughing, carrying on, eating together, hanging out, fellowshipping. They were friends and brothers. They even played like this when they were on the court. I mean, they played as a unit. It was almost, it almost looked seamless while they were on the court running down the floor. They were on the court what they were off the court, a family, which for me was very attractive. Coming from a broken home, still feeling like I didn't fit in, that was what I wanted. And then I remember going to high school. It was our high school preview day preview day at our, our college prep school. You get to walk around. You get to see the classrooms. You get to meet all the coaches. You, you get to see who might be in your freshman class. And as I'm walking down the hallway, I see none other than the Indy Bulls walking down the hall. And when I see them, they shake up with me. They know who I am because we played against each other. We're just not on the same team. And I, I looked at my mother after we walked past. I said, Mom, look, if those guys are coming to the school, I'm coming too. I'm coming too. First day of school, uh, one of the players ends up coming to the school. That guy becomes my best friend. And his pseudo-mentor, coach of the team, is his father figure. The guy accepts me into his house, teaches me as if I'm his own son. Became best friends to, to this guy that, that, that came to the school to the point that when we introduce one another, I don't say this is my friend. I tell people this is my brother because our bond is that tight. It's that tight. What's the point? Family, here's the point. When we look at this text today, we're going to look at a lot, but when we look at this text, Paul is calling believers. He's calling them to dwell in unity to where the bond between them, the bond between them, it's one body. It's one body that looks seamless. It's all held together by Christ, the head. See, this type of unity, when you look at the scriptures, when you look at the body, it's attractive. 
It's attractive, just like how it was for me when I saw the Indy Bulls. It's attractive. And when it's achieved, when unity is achieved, it not only builds up the body of Christ, but makes others want in just like me. The problem is, though, we don't always see unity done well. We don't always see unity done right. We, we could all give examples of how it's been done wrong, right? We, we can give examples, but how many examples can you give of it done well in your life? How many? A lot of us come from broken homes. Where have you seen unity in your life? Wars all over the place. I mean, where have you seen unity? Well, give me some good examples of unity. We don't have a whole lot. And see, that's sad because when you look biblically at what Paul talks about the church or just church, period, the church should be leading the way in unity. But yet we're one of the most divided places ever. Now, with all of that today, before I get into preaching, I, we're going to cover a lot. But the main point, I want you to hear this, the main point I want you to take away in all that I say today is that unity in the body builds up the body and also is very attractive. Let me say that again. Unity in the body, it builds up the body of Christ, but at the same time, it's also very attractive. Now, as we get into the text, just a short recap of where we came through uh, the first three chapters. As we jump into the second half and the latter half of uh, Ephesians, up to this point, Paul has spent these first three chapters in the book of Ephesians laying out who believers are rooted in, especially these Gentiles, these new Gentile believers in the faith in Ephesus. Now, remember, up to this point, the belief that was what was commonly known throughout the land was that, 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 that salvation was only for Jews because they were chosen by God. It, it was not for the Gentiles. And, and Paul has spent these first three chapters just breaking that down. He's saying, no, 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 I'm unveiling the mystery that God has had in the work since the beginning of time through Jesus Christ. This is from the beginning. This is God's plan. It's the fact that God, in all of his preeminent glory and knowledge, saw fit to make a plan of salvation possible for all people through belief in Jesus. And if you remember, that's problematic. It's problematic for the people at this time because Jews didn't care about the Gentiles. They didn't really like them, and, and they thought of themselves as better. They thought of themselves as better because they were chosen. But Paul, again, is exposing that understanding. He said, no, 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 no. In, in, in Christ, there's neither Jew, Jew or Gentile. We're all one in Christ. We're all, we're all chosen if we believe. We're in Christ. We're co-heirs. He lets them know that nobody is saved based upon their own merit or anything that they bring to the table. But instead, it, it's through God's unfathomable grace that we're saved. So nobody is better than the other. It's the playing field, as I've been saying. I've been calling it lately. The playing field is level. It's level. Nobody is better than the other. We're all sinful. It doesn't matter what shade, of color, what race, what ethnicity, whatever you are. It doesn't matter. We're all sinful and in need of a Savior. The playing field is level. Somebody say the playing field is level. See, friends, but this would have been very difficult. This would have been very different. In the context of Ephesus, because much like Chicago, it's a very diverse place. It had many different problems, but Paul is crossing the line. He's, he's stepping over the line, and he's saying, no, 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 that, that's, not, that's not what's happening. Let me, let me break this down. Now that we, we believe, not you or you, but we believe, we all believe we're all one now in Christ. 
There is no dividing wall of hostility. Christ has leveled the playing field and made a way for all to come to him. And in chapter 3, as we ended last week, Paul ends alluding to chapter 4 by saying, now that you know whose you are and how you're saved, go and live it out. Go live out your faith. Don't just know the love of God that surpasses all understanding. Take that now, that same understanding, and go out and live it out amongst everyone else. And when we live it out, as we talked about last week, when we live out those roots, not only in the church is the church united and one, but God now is glorified throughout generations to come. It doesn't just stop here. It continues to go on throughout the ages. We are able to see the impossible happen because of God's work in and through the church, the people. This all leads to our passage today. Because the question becomes, well, okay, cool, Paul, I get what you're saying. I I know you want us to live it out, but what does that look like? How how do we practically live this out? It's easier said than done, Paul. What does that look like? So he spends the next three chapters breaking down practically what the church should look like and how we should live out our lives corporately and individually. So today, as we look at this text, Paul splits this text up into three different sections. There's a whole lot we're about to talk about, but there's three main sections that I want you to to pay attention to. Three sections. Although the main idea is the unity in the body of Christ. Main idea is still unity in the body of Christ, although there's three sections. These three sections are are broke now, starting in verses 1 through 6, where he exhorts the church to live in unity. Verses 7 through 10, Paul looks at the different gifts in the church. And in verses 11 through 16, he he points out that the gifts are used for the edification of the church. But again, the main point as we look at this scripture is the unity in the body of Christ. The reason I want you to remember that, and I keep saying that's the main point, is because it doesn't matter how many gifts you have. It doesn't matter how well you can break down scripture If there's no unity in the church or your gift is not being used to build up or to edify the body, then hear me, you are not living the way God has called you to live. This is the reason Paul has just walked through these first three chapters first, breaking down how our believers are saved by grace through faith, where God pre-planned a work from the beginning of time through Christ. And it's through Christ's sacrifice we're saved. And the reason Paul would walk through all of this, taking his time first, is for us to know that nothing we have, even the breath in our lungs, comes from us. It doesn't come from us working hard. Therefore, knowing all of this, believers should live their lives to the glory of God because he has indeed been good. Christ, God himself in the flesh, the second person in the Trinity, gave up his life so that we could have life. So hear me, hear me. The the moment that we believers, we start living our lives the way we want to for our own benefit, for our own glory, we're no longer living as God has called us to. We're no longer living as saved individuals by grace. See, it's God's goodness that not only leads us to repentance, it's God's goodness that leads us to live for him. And friends, do you know what that looks like? I mean, do you know what it means to, to live for the glory of God? It means using what you have, your gifts, to edify or to build up the body of Christ. 
Believer, hear me. I don't know if y'all getting this, but, but hear me. Believer in here, hear me. Beware. Beware. The moment you start focusing on your gifts, the moment you start focusing on your gifts so much, thinking your stuff don't stink, the moment you start focusing on your gift and, and, and thinking your stuff don't stink and, and, and you're, you are great, whether that be investing in your company for this, at, at the sake of other people and, and, or you think you're great or, or, or it may be working in, on a mission field or in ministry, but you're stepping over people in order to gain platforms. We keep on going down the line. I mean, it, it, where, where everything in your life is somebody else's fault, nothing's your fault. Or you're just simply focusing too much on your own prosperity. Believer, beware. Beware, because it's in that moment, a major fall in your life might be on the rise. You see, the Word of God tells us in Proverbs 16, 18, pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. James 4, 6 says the same thing, just a little bit different. He says, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. I don't know about you, but I want the grace part. I don't want to be opposed by God. And, and, and hear me, when we understand the, the magnitude of all God has done on our behalf through Jesus Christ, it humbles us. It humbles us to walk before him. And there's no room for grace. There's no room for pride. So, so the with all of this, what I want to do is I want to walk through this passage. I want to walk through this passage with the knowledge of what God has done on our behalf and who we're rooted in, which will give way to a deeper understanding of how we should live, which is explained in the text. Again, there's three parts, three parts in this text that I want to key in on. Number one, the unity in the body. Number two, Christ gives gifts to the body. And number three, those same gifts now are being used to edify the body. Let me give those to you again. Unity in the body. Number two, Christ gives gifts to the body. And number three, those same gifts now are used to edify the church. Paul begins in verse one by using the word prisoner again. You see that? He says the word prisoner again, stressing once more that he was suffering for the sake of the gospel. He's a prisoner for the sake of the gospel so the people can receive Jesus. He, he's taking his faith serious. He says, I urge you, would give you this kind of feeling of a, a last wish or, or this challenge to these folks. He's saying, I'm challenging you. I want you to take your faith seriously just like me. Again, he's telling them, don't just believe in Jesus. I want you to live it out. I want you to live it out. He's urging them to live it out. He wants them to live in a manner worthy of which they have been called as sons and daughters of the most high king. Now, again, how do we do this? How do we do this? Pay attention to Paul's word choice. Look at the text. He says, walk in a manner worthy of which you have been called with all humility, gentleness, and with patience. Now, why would he say that? It, 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 he answers his own question. He says, in order to maintain the bond of peace. Now, humility back then was considered distasteful. It wasn't something that people wanted. They, they didn't want humility. And, and pride was valued, on the other hand. It sounds kind of like our culture, right? It, it sounds kind of like how we are, you know, where humility is almost looked at as being weak. It, it's a weakness. And then on the other hand, everybody's walking around struggling with their own pride because we live in this culture of me, 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 me. It's about me. 
But, but here's the truth. If you look at these words and you look at Christ, you look at the way he walked, he embodied all three of them. There was gentleness, there was humility, there was patience. And we are sons and daughters through Christ of the most high king. So now we should live just like as Christ did. He saved us. Let's live like he did. Paul exhorts them to live as Christ did so that they can maintain the bond of peace. Now, family, hear me. Peace is the bond of reconciliation and love that unites people. But hear me, the word maintain, everybody say maintain. maintain. The word maintain is very important here. It's important because believers, hear me, don't create peace, we maintain it. We don't create peace, we maintain it. Christ created true peace. He created true unity when he died on the cross. Believers are just to walk in the way he did and maintain Peace, the bond he already created when he reconciled people to God and to one another. We are to maintain it. This is very important to understand because seeking peace, hear me y'all, seeking peace without this foundational framework is futile and overwhelming. And, and what I mean is go ahead and try to seek peace. Go, go out here in the world and try to seek peace on your own. Go do it. Better yet, when have you ever seen world peace happen? When have we ever seen world peace happen? You've probably never seen it, right? Besides the Garden of Eden and before the serpent came in. When have we ever seen world peace? Tell me a time. It's overwhelming when we look at the world and try to seek peace by our own merit or by our own strength. But when you understand, when we understand that Christ has already created unity and peace, it gives one hope. It gives one hope and meaning when we seek peace because it's not all up to us. It's not based upon our strength or what we bring to the table. Christ creates peace. But see, don't get caught up in this whole world peace narrative that I'm talking about right now because we're going to miss what Paul's saying if we get caught up in that because that's not really what he's talking about. Paul's not talking about maintaining peace in the world. He's talking about maintaining peace in the church. Now, why would he say that? Because if peace and unity happens within the church, hear me all, then the world around it is affected as a result. See, if believers live as Christ did and maintain unity, then the world is affected. Hear me, everyone in the world is looking for hope. Everyone's looking for hope. And the church has the key to it, which is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Forever, with him, which lightens the burden of trying to live your best life now. You know why? Because this life has, it is nothing compared to eternity with God. We have the key to hope in the church. See, everyone is looking for hope. Everyone. And, and when the church lives in unity, understanding the hope that is set before them, keeping their eyes on the prize, it causes folks to say, I want to know the secret. I want to know how you can keep going through this life with a smile on your face. How do you keep going day to day after having a miscarriage? You, after getting through that hard financial time, how do you keep going? How do you live with a smile on your face still being single? How do you wake up every day 
and look at the state of the world and not be consumed or overwhelmed. Family, see, when the church operates as God has called them to, it causes people to question and want to know God. Paul says live in unity and peace because of what Christ has done and called you to. But just in case, it's not enough to say live in peace and unity, do what he said, live as Christ. In verses 4 through 6, Paul continues to, he he keeps breaking it down. He starts repeating the word one over and over again. You guys see that? He He says one body, one spirit, one hope. Basically saying just as your human body has one spirit, the bodies of Christians are enlivened by one spirit, which calls, calls them to this hope, to one hope in Christ of eternal life. See, Christians all possess, all around the world, possess the same spirit of God, which unites them. He goes on to say, one Lord, Jesus, one faith, meaning we're all saved the same way through Jesus. One baptism, talking about the fact that once we believe, we're, we're, we're healed, filled with the indwelling Holy Spirit. Paul, Paul is basically saying, look here, look, look, don't miss this. There is a profound spiritual unity between believers through one faith and one Lord. You may look different. You may come from different backgrounds, different walks of life. But look here, there is something that's way more, much more significant and profound than any outward difference that we might have. Now, family, that's, that, 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 that's very key, that, and it, it's pretty simple, but it, it's very key. Pay attention. He doesn't say unity comes through a specific denomination. He doesn't say unity comes through a, a certain salvific process. You got to do this to be saved. No, 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 he doesn't say that. It, it, Jesus, it, it, he says unity, come, Paul says unity comes through Jesus regardless of our differences. Jesus is who unites us. And if you don't get that, then he puts an explanation point on all of it. And he says, by saying, one God and one Father of all, who is over all, through all, and in all. Again, he's pointed to the fact that Christians all over the world are united in Christ. Friends, again, when the church lives out this type of unity, that's when the world changes. Paul's saying to Christians, This is who you are in Christ. This is who you are. Now go walk it out. And when you do, it will not only edify the body, but also will show Jesus off to the world. It'll show him off to the world. Now with that, I know some of y'all are still sitting here saying, well, I know I might be the the, the same in Christ. And and we may be one and the same, but... (laughs) We may need a savior. We may be sinful, all of this, but, but come on now. It's got to be some difference between Christians, right? I, I got to be different than that person, right? Well, there's there's got to be some difference. Well, okay, well, let's look at because this is where we get mixed up. We got to find uh, our differences and significance, right, instead of finding it in Christ. Look at verses 7 through 10. It says in these verses, Paul points out that God has not only been gracious to save us, and unify us through Jesus, but he also has been gracious enough to give us gifts according to Christ's gift. Now, when the scripture refers to Christ's gift, Paul is talking about the fact that when Christ died, he rose from the grave, defeating sin and death. The battle has been won, which made him now the ultimate victor. 
He's won. He's got the victory. And through him getting the victory, he gives gifts away. Okay, I'm not sure if y'all understand that. And I know Paul didn't think people would understand it. So he further explains himself by citing Psalm 68, 18. Look at it. He says, when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives and he gave gifts to men. This gives understanding that Christ won a war. He won a battle. There was a battle fought. It was bloody. You saw his blood on the cross, but he won the war. And the victor now, when the war is won, if you've ever seen any war movie, when the, when the victor, when, when they win the victory, they get spoils. They take everything that's in the land and then they give it back to their town. They give it back to their army. And what Christ is, he, he wins the war and as a result, he gets spoils and he gives gifts to his army to, and in this case, the church. I think y'all might be missing this. So verses 9 through 10, he keeps going with it. He says, he left heaven and he descended to earth to die the death we deserve. And in doing so, he defeated sin and death. Then he rose three three days later with victory in his hands. He's supreme over all things, or as the text says, he, he, he feels all things. See, Christ won the war over sin and gives gifts. Now the question is, what are these gifts? What are the gifts and what are they used for? Again, as I said in the beginning, because this is where we mess up. We got to find my gift. I got to know who I am. This is where we mess up. And I said in the beginning, these first 16 verses, hear me, are about unity in Christ and the edification of the body of Christ. So the gifts, hear me, are for just that. Not just us individually, but for the unity of the body of Christ. The edification of the body. Now, these gifts, hear me, it's going to mess y'all up, but they they turn out to be people. The gifts are people. Church leaders, to be exact, looking at this text, like apostles. People that are called to to, to go out and plant churches, start churches, the, the fathers of the church. Then they say prophets, people who deliver a word from God. You got evangelists, people who proclaim the gospel. Shepherds or or pastors for that that sake, people who watch over and and nurture the flock, nurture the body, and teachers, people who instruct the word. Now, this list is not exhaustive. I mean, there's people like deacons that are not existed, are not mentioned, which we see in, in 1 Timothy 3. But that's not the point. That's not the point Paul's making. He says he gives church leaders as gifts to the church. People that are equipped with the word of God. Now, now I know why some of y'all are not amen me right now or anything. Because you're probably sitting there thinking like, how in the world is that a gift? How is that a gift to me? Right? How is that my gift? And the reason we think that is because church leadership or leadership period or authority is devalued in today's society. Can we be real right now? Let's just be real for a moment. Nobody wants to be led anymore. Everybody wants to be their own person and own leader. Nobody values authority. And therefore, everybody in this millennial generation or the generation to come up, I'm part of this generation. We want to be, all, we want to be an artist, want to be a rapper, athlete, 
we want to be, be somebody else famous and, and achieve some individualistic feat where we can be noticed and we did something for society. And if you hear me, some of us will do that. We'll be some great people that are going to achieve things, but everybody in here can't be Drake. Everybody cannot be Mark Zuckerberg of Facebook. Can't be Steve Jobs. You're not going to be the next Michelangelo. That's not who we are. Somebody will, but, but, but hear me, somebody got to work for those dudes. And hear me, on top of that, the, the top spot, it may seem glorious in our minds, but the number one spot is not all it's cracked up to be. Some of the most depressed people and lonely people in society are the ones that are in the limelight every day. And number two, here's the thing, here's what we don't pay attention to. Without them working with the team, without people walking alongside them, there is no Mark Zuckerberg. I mean, there's no Apple if Steve Jobs doesn't have those other dudes in his garage working on computers with him. It, it does not happen. Hence, family, the church or, or leaders can't exist. We can't go forward if there's no body around us. Nobody gets to where they are in life by themselves. Paul lets us know that Christ gave the church gifts, which were church leaders, which means that believers should respect, follow, and depend on church leadership. That may be tough, but maybe you've been hurt. Maybe that's something that's in your story, but that's what Paul is saying here. Hear me, family. If you are at church, if you're at a church where you don't respect and can't follow, because I know some of you guys that might not be here ever knew, might not be members. If you're at a church where you cannot respect or follow the leaders or can't depend on them to equip you and, and, and nurture you, that's probably not the church for you. Now, now, on another note, if, if you're like what I've just been talking about and, and, and where authority, you don't like authority and you see church leadership or your pastor as just your friend, then there's a personal issue going on there. There's a personal problem that's going on there and because you don't see church leadership as a gift to you, to help you. Church leaders are a gift. That's what Paul is saying right here. It's a gift. Mark Dever, a pastor out in a D.C. area, he says in his book, Understanding Church Leadership, he says to, to reject authority. I don't agree with everything he says, but, but in this quote, I mean, it's, it's good. He says to reject authority, as so many in our day do, is short-sighted and self-destructive. A world without authority would be like desires with no restraints, a car with no controls, an intersection with no traffic lights, a game with no rules, a home with no parents, a world without God. It could go on for a little while, but before long, it would seem pointless, then cruel, and finally tragic. Church leaders, as Paul is saying here, are gifts. Gifts given to help equip the body to do the work of the ministry. Not everybody will be a church leader, nor does everybody need to be. Because hear me, if, if church leaders are, are, are to equip people to do the work of the ministry, if everybody's a church leader, then who's going to do the ministry? Who, who's going to go out and do some ministry? I mean, see, see, Paul addresses this because some people are like, well, I'm not a church leader, so I shouldn't do anything. Paul addresses this in 1 Corinthians 12. He says that no part of the body is insignificant. It, 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 we all need each other. 
He says, the foot can't say to the hand because I'm not a hand. I, I, no, I, there's no need for me. No, no, every part of the body is significant. Every one of us. Church leaders and church staffs, hear me y'all, are not the end all be all. They are not the only ones that are to do the work of the ministry. They're more importantly, as the scripture says, to equip the body to do the work of the ministry. Because here's the truth. Here's the truth. Pastor Luke and I, for example, Pastor Luke and I, we're not out in the world like you guys every day. We're not working jobs like you every day. We don't see the same things you do. So our job is to equip you to be out in the world all the time. And this is why, hear me, this is why there's Sunday church, there's weekly Bible studies, small groups, worship nights, counseling throughout the week, sermons preached every week, phone calls, prayer times. You can come to us whenever you need. All of that, hear me, is a gift to equip the saints, to equip the saints to do the work of the ministry. Church leaders are more like, kind of more like drill sergeants at the army base. We're, we're telling you what to do, preparing you for the combat. We may not be out there with you. We may not know what's coming your way, but we're preparing you. We're helping you and we're caring for you along the way. That's the gift of church leadership. Now, I'm not sure if all of y'all are getting this. So let's look back at the text. Let's look more intently at what Paul says here. Notice that it does not say in verse 11 through 12, because this is where we, we mix it up. It doesn't say, look at these verses. It doesn't say that he gave these leaders for the saints or believers to have nice, plush, and prof- prosperous lives. I don't, I don't see that. Do y'all see that? No, no, it says to equip them to do the work of the ministry. It, it doesn't say they will do all the work and the saints can just cruise on into eternity. No, no, I think it says to equip the saints to do the work of the ministry. It doesn't say they will give you the magic key to success or take away all your burdens. No, no, no. It says to equip the saints to do the work of the ministry. It doesn't say that they have to live at a different standard, this crazy level of holiness, and the saints can do whatever they want, sin, and get away with it. No, it says to equip the saints to do the work of the ministry. Shall I keep going with this? What this means is that although the church leaders are here, the Christian life family will still be difficult at times. It still will be difficult. And all Christians, every one of us that believes in Jesus is called to build up and to edify the church doing the work of the ministry. The text keeps going. Got to keep going. It keeps going. It says in verse 13, until we attain unity of the faith and knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood, to measure the full stature of fullness of Christ. What Paul is saying here again, using this whole body metaphor of mature manhood, is that these gifts of leadership, gifts of leadership, again, bring unity. They also build up the ministry in the knowledge of Christ. So it builds up the body so that we know Christ. Follow me now. The maturity here that Paul is talking about is doctrine. It's doctrine. It's both knowing Christ personally and also all that he did. See, it's both because there's a big difference between knowing someone personally and then there's, then there's knowing of them. See, I know of Michael Jordan. I know he's a great basketball player, won six championships. I, I, know Michael, I know of Michael Jordan, but I don't know him personally. I would love to, but I don't. But on the other hand, I do know my wife. I know her inside out. I know my wife. She's, I know her personally. I know what she does now. I know what she did. I know what she's doing right now. I know my wife. 
Therefore, I care about her more. I'll do more on her behalf. I will die for her. I ain't died for no Michael Jordan. I don't know him. Paul, Paul is simply saying, saying the same thing here. He's saying that the body is to grow to know Christ personally, know him intimately and his attributes in which the leaders come alongside and help build you up in that. Paul, Paul says he built up, he, he, he be built up into maturity knowing Christ so you are no longer like children tossed to and fro by every wind of doctrine, all the wind and waves. And so, you know, not too, tossed to and fro by the wind and waves. See, here's the thing. Children here, it, 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 it contrasts manhood. Because children, all of us that have children know this, they think differently. They're very easily influenced. See, but a man or grown-up, on the other hand, should be more stable, should be Im- immovable. And I say should because I, I, I know some of y'all are in here like, man, I can't get with that, Pastor. Can't get with it. Because some of us are grown up in here, but we, we sure ain't immovable. We're, do- we're definitely not stable. Okay, well, Paul, Paul says it another way in 1 Corinthians 13. He says this. When I was a child, I spoke like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. But when I became a man, I gave up childish ways. See, God's desire for the church is not that we would just know him as Savior, but that we would know him intimately through his son, Jesus, therefore being steadfast, immovable, always abounding in him. But hear me, that's not enough. It's not enough just to know Christ. It's not enough to just be immovable because then the faith, hear me, then the faith would be just about our own individual lives. That's not what Christ calls us to. If we would just know Christ and be immovable, which is what we always say, I just want to stand, it's about me, I got to make it through this trial, it's about me. That's not the gospel. That's not what God calls us to be in Christ. No, no, Jesus says, love God and your neighbor. The Christian faith is not individualistic or private. It's very corporate, and we are to live amongst each other, bearing each other's burdens, and to love one another. Pa- Paul says in verse, he says in verse 15, speak, it says, speaking the truth in love so that we can grow up in Christ who is the head. Hear me, family. When we know the truth and we speak the truth in love to one another, not beating each other down with our words, but speak the truth in love, which is gentle but also direct, we build each other up. And I have to say both gentle and direct because some of us, we're way too gentle and we don't speak truth at all. And then on the other hand, we may be way too direct and we're not gentle. Speak the truth in love. And when done correctly, we build each other up to be more like Christ. Now, what this may mean is that you may know somebody who's stuck in sin, who's going through it, just had a bad time. You can't just say, stop doing that or or, get over it. Next day, it'll be better tomorrow. No, that doesn't help. That's not what helps. You you might need to, to hold them accountable in that area. You might need to come alongside and walk with them. You may need to hold them in your arms and hug them and pray for them. Call them daily. Check on them. You you, you may need to do all of that. That's what he's talking about. Dwell in unity. Speak the truth in love. Build one another up in Christ. 
Verse 16, Paul ends and he, he puts the capstone on the text. Still talking about union, he says that all Christians are part of the Christ, are part of Christ's body. Look at his words. I love these words. He says joints. He says the word joints. Everybody say joints. joints. He doesn't say bones. Does not say muscles. He says joints. You know, those parts of the body that sadly people don't pay attention to and get arthritis, the joints. He says joints, which means even though we think they're insignificant, what he's saying is that there's even the most insignificant person in the Christian faith, faith it is of the utmost important because nobody is insignificant. Okay, y'all missed that. Hear me, this is because you probably don't know what the joints actually do. The joint is nowhere near insignificant. The joint in the body joins together two parts of the body, whether that be muscle, bone, it, it joins together two parts of the body, hence unity. Y'all still missing it. See, see, Paul is saying here that nobody or part of the body is insignificant. And when everybody, the whole body works together properly, when everyone dwells in unity, the body grows, meaning people grow deeper spiritually, but also, family, more people come to the faith because the body's being built up. The kingdom expands. See, family, and this is, this is key. This is key at the end of the text. Because when you see messed up, Divided communities. I can almost guarantee you there's no vibrant Christian community close by. Now, I didn't say no Christian community. I said no vibrant Christian community. Key word, vibrant, bright, full of energy, enthusiastic. When people are, are always fighting, backstabbing, full of corruption, I can almost always guarantee there's no vibrant Christian community driving or influencing society. Hear me, family. When Christian community dwells together in love and unity, it not only grows inwardly, but also outwardly. In other words, when there is unity in the body of Christ, we grow more mature spiritually which in turn affects, affects or impacts those around us that say, I want what you have. I want what you have. Family, it's just like me seeing the Indy Bulls walking down the hallway. I wonder what they had. Family, let's be a church that grows together inwardly in love and in unity to where people see us outwardly and they say, I want in. In essence, saying, I want Jesus too. Amen? Amen. Let's pray.